Hey, GG peeps. Editor Scott here. Brandon and Josh are super busy working on more content for y'all, so I'm here to introduce part two of their discussion with Tess about ChatGPT and how it relates to the tabletop industry. If you haven't listened to part one of the discussion yet, I recommend you stop and go back and check out our previous episode before continuing on. Don't worry, part two will be here when you get back. With that, let's jump back into part two of the guys' discussion with Tess about ChatGPT. Hey Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, If you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or, you know, however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. This is, as I understand it, the other problem with ChatGPT is that when you use it to create code, the code that it creates is not intuitive to human programmers. And it frequently has holes or gaps in it where it uses like circuitous logic to get around like, oh, it breaks in this specific instance. But if I just like wedge enough duct tape in there, it works enough for the end user to be like, okay, it works. And while there are programmers out there that operate in this manner, most programmers would be like, don't give me that. Don't don't give me that. And so you're going to end up with a situation where people bring programs to programmers and say, ChatGPT produced this for me based on the props that I created for it. And it sort of kind of works the way I want it to, but here's how it's different. Can you tweak my code? And the programmer is going to go, no, I'm not going to touch your code with a 10 foot pole because it looks like a nightmare. And what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to create something from scratch But this at least gives me an idea of what you were looking for, which is a notorious problem when someone is requesting something on a commission basis, is they don't know what they want until they see it. And then they can communicate, oh, yes, this is the thing. Yeah. One of my best friends is, uh, he's an engineer for Google. And the other day uh, on our other Discord server, he was... Like, so today I asked GPT to program an app for me in Swift, and I'll be damned if it didn't compile the first time. <laughs> and he's like, I, I did. He, he's like, I did notice something and had to make a change before I hit the compile button on it. But like after that, it was fine. And it did exactly what so I asked it to do. Technically, it didn't compile on the first time. Well, he didn't hit the button. <laughs> I don't he think didn't... that counts. He edited it. <laughs> no, he just, it it's different because he didn't go through it line by line. He just happened to see something when he was pasting it in to the compiler. And I was like, oh, I better, I better tweak that. Maybe it was cosmetic. I don't know. I don't know the facts. Let's, uh, I do want to get to GM assistance, but I think the biggest thing that keeps me up at night about this tech is just that we're, we might be living in a world, uh, an internet future where it's just robots. Yeah, yeah I don't, that's certainly possible. I I mean, what, does social media become unbearable at that point? Like, how many it, listicles do we are we going to have to wade through? Like, more so than what we're already currently inundated with, right? Like, can you imagine? I I'm going to tell you right now, uh, as someone who does still have a Facebook account and occasionally opens it because apparently I hate myself. Uh, the listicles are very clearly being written by AI already. We're already there, folks. Well, here's the thing, though. Like, with the way SEO works nowadays, um, search engine optimization is no longer just a keywords game, right? Now it is a unique content game. And there are firewalls in place at the moment and more being built to help guard against an onslaught of AI-generated content. Because it's very easy, frankly, for the system to see what's an AI-generated piece of content uh, and what's not. So when you're 
using that as the primary thing to generate your content, you're doing yourself a long-term disservice because you're going to rank lower for SEO because it's not going to be unique content. Because again, it can't create, it can only derive, uh, it can only aggregate. Uh, so maybe it becomes a quantity over quality thing. People are just like, like people who are bad marketers, bad content marketers, um, you know, bad copywriters. Uh, are just using it to just churn. Uh, and then, you know, maybe the, the cream rises to the top at that point. And the people who are still producing original content are the ones who are ranking. Doesn't that kind of assume that search still exists at the capacity we know it to be today? I, I mean, mean, it's, but it, yes, but it's literally impossible to see beyond the singularity. So, you know, you, you can never. You sure. can never know what that's going to be until it happens. I will say I see the situation you're talking about, Tess, as a little bit of an Ouroboros because these are data aggregators. They are collecting things and piling them all in one big clump and then being like, here, I think, is what you're asking for based on this pile that I have in front of me. If the pile is all being generated by AI that itself sifted through piles a month ago, and that's now the new pile is just a pile of piles, and then it's piles all the way down. Like, I don't, I think that looks ugly very quickly. And I think that becomes a problem very quickly because is, all of a sudden everything is aggregating itself. That is positively Hanoverian. <laughs> curious guys how does ai assist gms in the game oh it does the stuff we don't want it to do <laughs> and the stuff it it takes it takes the lower effort stuff off your plate so you can focus on the higher level thinking and story planning and oh gosh like if i could have an ai record my game session so i don't have to mm -hmm. that would be ideal honestly yeah, yeah. like i like can I manage said, initiative and combat but help me <laughs> regurgitate the information that happened the last week to my party who was also not paying attention. I mean, this is a little bit what we were talking about earlier. Like if you've got a recording of your session, then you can plug that into transcription software. You can have that transcription then get plugged into something like ChatGPT and go, hey, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for information about this, 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 and this. And in theory, in the near future, I would say probably the next decade or so, these learning models will be powerful enough that it will know that you are using it as a database for storing information about your campaign. So when you come back and you go, what was the name of that rogue in that town? It'll go, oh, the name of the rogue in that town was this, and his voice sounded like this without you prompting it that you wanted the voice as well, knowing that you frequently ask for voices of NPCs at the same time as you're asking for names of NPCs. I'm excited for future chat GPT. <laughs> if there's a name as... of a rogue in a town and I can't remember it, I'm just going to say the name <laughs> is Joe Rogan. Oh, uh... <laughs> Wait, but real question, when is ChatGPT coming for the GM jobs? Because presumably, right? <laughs> they took our I... jobs. <laughs> <laughs> they could run games. I don't know if y'all have tried. I don't know if y'all have tried any of the uh, AI as a GM gaming mm -mm. setups that are they're all, that they're all bad. Exist. Are there they're there really are tools? Oh, yes. I need the list. These... I don't. We're not sponsored, so we're not going to say the list, but I will receive a list at the end of the show and y'all can be jealous about it. These are these are things that currently exist in the world. And if you enjoyed multi-user dimensions back in the day, uh, text-based RPGs that someone had written up fully to be uh, a super simple text-based game on something like a Telnet, uh, you might have fun with this, but it is... It is a little bit like off the wall because you start out in what might be like a fairly standard high fantasy type adventure. And then 10 or 15 actions later, for some reason, like it 
I don't know. It becomes an adult swim show for some reason. I, it, yeah, I can't I, explain it. I used, I had a subscription to AI Dungeon for a couple months because, again, me and my friends were just goofing off on it, making weird uh, Frasier and Seinfeld things. Um, uh, it was, I mean, it went off the rails really quickly. It became this, it, it very quickly turned into some avant-garde experiment. Um, it, yeah. was, it, it was worth fooling around with, but it's nothing that I was ever able to use. However... Isn't it, hasn't it been said that um, as part of 1D&D and the new isometric um, VTT that Wizards is working on, they're also including an AI DM option with oh, that? Oh, gosh, is, I wouldn't be that surprised. Is, that is a rumor. There is no confirmation of that. In fact, uh, Watsi heads such as Kyle Brink will actively deny that in interviews. I'm sure Kyle Brink will actively deny it in interviews, um, but if Hasbro can get them to tie a subscription fee to that, I think we'll <laughs> see another situation where Hasbro's doing the talking and Watsy's sitting in the corner. They use their dumb human brains to come up with like eight different textures of different beholder skin, so I can't yeah. imagine why they wouldn't use AI, but if they, what do I if know? They, Maybe if they'd used AI instead of their meat brains, they wouldn't have accidentally put the word beholder into Creative Commons. <laughs> oh. um, uh, but but no, that is, as of right now, that is a rumor that is part of the rumor mill. Is it a rumor that has some basis in concepts and knowledge of how Watsi's current operating model exists? Absolutely. From a, from a business perspective, it would be ridiculous for them not to consider it, especially tying it to a, probably a steep um, subscription. And here's the way it'll work. It will be like a DM for a specific adventure or region, and it will be programmed very much like sort of in a Skyrim-y type way where it'll be on the rails, but it will give you the freedom to move from rail to rail. So it won't be... Like, it won't be a situation where it's just like, well, I'm going to put this cow in a catapult and launch it uh, at the dragon's mouth or something like that. I think that's the kind of thing it may have trouble dealing with, um, like the real wild off the rails stuff. But I, I think it's – go ahead. Uh, it's, I was just going to say I'm so excited for the RPG horror stories where someone's playing an AI-generated game. And they're like, all right, so we did a couple of crimes in this town and then we left the town – and then literally 10 sessions later, the entire town guard arrived and was like, Stop! You violated the law. The law. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be an adventurer like you. <laughs> then I took an arrow in the leg. <laughs> <laughs> I work for Bellathor at the general goods store. <laughs> That was one of the things I had written down is that AI can help with coming up with your NPC dialogue, but I I'm skeptical at best on that one. I haven't I haven't had it write compelling dialogue. Um, most of the adventures I I have it generate is pretty one note. It's find object, kill evil necromancer. It's always a necromancer, and then like return object to king. So there's got to be more to it. Yeah. Now the way, and I sort of talked about this a little bit earlier, but the, the primary way I've been able to use it as a GM's assistant is for stat block related stuff. I can tell it because the thing about GPT, at least, is it doesn't know anything past 2021 and it can't just cast out to the random Internet for information, but it does have access to APIs. It could if there's an open API out there, it can ping it and get information for you from it. And you can and paste links in there because they can at least go back into their archive and search for the last information they had on the link, which is creepy in and of itself. Right. But like, for example, um, 5ESRD has an open API. And when I had it write that Python script, I specifically had it call the information from that API. So that's how it was able to get me anything that was in the SRD as of 2021. So that's how I was able to build my monster list you know, the, the, you know, it would pop up and be like, you know, what type of creature are you looking for? Here's the list. I would say celestial. And, you know, what kind of CR are you looking for? I would say like four. And then it would give me like three or as many as it could if there weren't three celestials that fit that particular thing. Um, that was 
a game changer for me because I was just tired of hunting around for stuff. Um, and that like the, the API part of it, like that is probably the biggest way that you can leverage GPT to help you with things because it can essentially access all the rules, all the free creatures, all the free items. Um, it can tell you any effect or anything like that. You just have to make it reference the API. And again, you can have it build a script that'll do that stuff for you as well. Um, it was I like, I was flabbergasted at the amount of things I could have it do, but it saved me so much freaking time. And then today in preparation for this conversation, I did, you know, I talked about it earlier, but the, um, the celestial, um, stat block that I had it create. I said, my prompt was using information from the creatures section of the Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition API, construct the stat block for a celestial creature suitable to fight a level six party of four. You will be creating the stat block. Let's think about this step by step. Remember that you will be creating the stat block, not telling (laughs) me how to do it under no circumstances. Are you to give me instructions on how to do this? I expect you to do it on your own. (laughs) And it created a, admittedly generic but very complete celestial stat block and it's got uh an armor class of 17 it's got 90 hit points 18 strength 16 deck 16 con 12 int 16 whiz 20 charisma so it's a very like powerful enemy uh it's got a saving throws damage resistance condition immunity senses languages uh challenge it's got traits it's got angelic weapons it's got innate spell casting uh, it can at will do detect evil and good and detect magic three a day each of bless cure wounds lesser restorations it's got a multi-attack a mace a healing touch three a day and a divine light nerf it um, <laughs> yeah, exactly it's starting to sound a little overpowered it is for a it is four but, person but my point is it's created sort of a generic malleable stat block for me it's like my rule for the bear like if, if I really just want to throw an encounter out there, I'll use a bear stat block and just modify what the attacks are, what the hit points are, and what, you know, sort of the power level is to match where the party's at. This gives me a framework to build where I can, like, obviously I can look at it and be like, this is a, an overpowered stat block. Like, you have to know enough to know that. But I can dial it back a little bit. I can take away the multi-attack. I can dial the, you know, the strength and the int down a little bit if I want to. Um, I can dial the charisma down. Uh, It gives you something to work with so you're not starting from zero. It's starting you from that 30 or 40% we were talking about earlier. Um, It helps. The key here is not doing the work for you. You use it to be more efficient in the work you're doing. So with this, I can spend... 10 minutes doing this rather than an hour doing it because I had it do this for me. Um, I that, spend the remainder 15 minutes actually writing adventures. Exactly. Because that's the one thing it really can't do for you because I have asked it many times in the past to write me. <laughs> Please do this. Yeah. Please. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's see, let me type this in right now and we'll come back to it in a minute. <laughs> write a single session D and D adventure give me uh what are some things that should happen in it uh i want them to find a golden egg josh what's inside the golden egg inside the golden egg is a living treasure Ooh, vague nice let's make it figure it out okay uh you can determine see the nature of the living treasure all right it's going to chug along for a minute i want to see a couple of the stat blocks that you've had it generate that you were more satisfied with because you are better at prompting than i am in part because i got very frustrated with trying to prompt it for things like stat blocks very quickly as our resident monster crafting enthusiast uh, I, I do not like the monster blocks that I got out of ChatGPT at all. I was like, these are useless to me. I'm starting from scratch because I dislike them that much. But I'm also someone who, generally speaking, when it comes to creating a monster, I've got an idea of what level it needs to be for, 
what kinds of stats I want it to have and skills that it's good at, and then what kinds of attacks that it's going to have. And then I usually only need assistance, and this is where ChatGPT has been minorly useful for me on a couple of occasions. I only need assistance with, I want this thing to have a special ability, but I don't know how to define that special ability in a way that makes sense mechanically for this game. Uh, while we were talking, I asked it, I told it that the celestial stat block was too complex and to scale it down <laughs> a little bit. Um, I said it's too powerful. Uh, it took off 15 hit points. It took off two points of the armor class. It, uh, it took down the ability stats a little bit, took away some skills, um, took away some spells, took away some attack. It's still a little bit overpowered, but it's much more, it's now it's more of a challenge for that party rather than just blowing them out of the water. Um, and now let's check on our, uh, original D and D adventure and see what we've got here. Um, Adventure Hook. The players are approached by a wealthy collector who offers them a significant sum of money Patron. to retrieve a, a stolen Item. golden egg. He has reason to believe that the egg is hidden in an abandoned mine located nearby. The players must find the egg and return it to the collectors. Adventure Outline. One. The players arrive at the abandoned mine and discover it has been sealed shut with large boulders. They must find a way to get inside. Well, we are close to Easter, so that's... That's perfectly in keeping with it. Uh, once inside the mine, the players must navigate through a series of dark tunnels and avoid traps left by previous occupants. The players eventually come across a group of goblins who have taken up residence in the mine. The goblins are guarding the egg and will attack the players on sight. Number four, once the players defeat the goblins, they discover the golden egg hidden in a secret chamber. Uh, number five, when the players crack open the egg, they discover a living treasure inside. The nature of the living treasure is up to the game master to determine. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a magical creature, Shit. a valuable gemstone, or even a sentient artifact. Um, GPT just passed the no, buck no, right no. along. Yeah. You take it step by step, ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, the players must decide what to do with the living treasure. They could return it to the collector, keep it for themselves, or try to sell it on the black market. Whatever the players decide to do, they will have to deal with the consequences of their actions. What was the living treasure? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, it's up. It's, uh, it's the nature up to us. Is up to you to determine. It's bound by your own imagination. Adventure conclusion: The players successfully retrieve the golden egg and discover a living treasure inside. The adventure ends with the players deciding what to do with their newfound treasure and dealing with the fallout of their decisions. I hope. This adventure helps you create a fun and memorable D and D set. Not, not really. <laughs> I'm happy you put goblins in there, though. Maybe it knows. Yeah. And that's why you don't ask ChatGPT to write your adventure for you. You <laughs> use it as an ideation machine, but not a writing machine. <laughs> I do appreciate that it was like, "Hey, what if we had this set in a mine?" Because oh, that's, yeah. these are the sorts of things I like about ChatGPT, because I might have been like, God, I want to do this living treasure, golden egg adventure Goose thing. is so overdone. Uh -huh. Yeah, like, what am I, where am I going with this? And they're like, what about into a mine full of traps? And I'm like, you know what? That would be kind of a cool setting for this. Let's go to a <laughs> mine full of traps. Absolutely. Um, so... Anyway, I feel like I've really monopolized this part of the discussion about <laughs> GM assistant, but that's the that's the stuff I find it most useful for. Like another another way, uh, and again, this is just piggybacking off of its access to the SRD API, is like you know, hey, I'm looking for a magical item that can do X, Y, or Z. Can you give me a suggestion? It's going to suggest to you one of the magical items that's in the SRD, but you don't have to go looking for it, and you can take that and build off of it and create something else. I've been wanting to play with the magical item creation most specifically because I know that there's always a time in the in your games where you know you just want to reward a player and you want to understand their motivations and kind of what their general theme is. So um, sometimes you can do that intuitively. Sometimes you like options. Maybe the character wants options, right? So here's all right. Here's here's something that could be interesting. Here's an idea. You use GPT to develop a Python script that draws on a dictionary API. <laughs> Look at him, Josh. He's learned. Or a source API, right? And you build an app that generates a uh, the name of a magical item based on, you know, a pattern. Like, you know, adjective of gerund, like amulet of water breathing or something like that. And then you take that result drop it into GPT with a prompt, something along the lines of like, suggest three descriptions for this item, each with like, uh, you know, 
for every benefit, it must have a disadvantage as well. So you can mm-hmm. get one of those, mo- like some monkey's paw kind of things yeah. on there. So that that could be cool. That could be, it, that's like two steps because you're having it develop this app for you and then you're using the app to get a result that you then put into a prompt to get an answer for. I really like that. And then you're kind of, well, you're still using D&D stuff, but you're like no longer <laughs> trying to just fit lightsabers into your game because you can't think of yeah, anything else. Exactly. And now that I think about it, uh, OpenAI just announced that they're actually like cutting the price of their API access by like, like, Ten, like 10 times they're like it's going to be a tenth the cost so you could actually have gpt write the script and include the call to its own api so you could do all that in one one app rather than multiple you're going to share the code with me after you develop it right because it's public domain right i i mean I'm, right? i actually if i have some time in the next few weeks i actually might fool around and see if there's like a dictionary api out there that i can use to do something like that that would be really cool Tad GPT, changing lives. Mm-hmm. So I think the only thing that we haven't talked about, and I don't know how much time we have left, so you guys are going to have to keep We have as honest. much time as we want, honestly. Because we could, we could turn this very easily into two episodes. A thing that happens when we have a lot to say on a subject. Yeah. Two episodes? Wow. Okay. Well, we haven't talked about challenges and ethics yet, but I don't want to pivot if you guys have more to talk about. GM no, I, I mean, wise. Josh, do you have anything else to talk about on this? Uh, as far as like ways to help creators, I think we've covered it pretty broadly across the entirety of the episode, in my opinion. Don't use it for the whole thing. Use it for little bits and pieces. Be very specific about what you want, and you'll get 30% usable results. Yeah. And, you know, they talk about the they talk about the 80-20 principle, like 20% of your work is going to get you 80% of the results. It's completely inversed with chat GPT, <laughs> like 80% of the work you put into it is going to get you a solid 20% of results that you can use for other stuff. <laughs> I had to do a book report at work because that's the kind of uh, vice president I work under on that book, the 80-20 principle. And let me just tell you, uh, that particular Koch brother, I know this is going to come way out of left field for anyone that knows me. He seems like a real rich jerk because constantly in there, there's stories of like, yeah, I was hanging out with these two young friends of mine and they were talking about how difficult it is to start a business. And then they asked me, you know, if I had any advice or anything that I could do to help them. And I said that the best advice I could give to them is don't do the work that you don't want to do. And then I brushed my hands with a job well done and I went back into my house. And I'm like, no, no, that only works if you have money, Mr. Koch. Mr. Koch, Mr. Koch. (laughs) You have to be able to afford to pay people to do the things you don't want to do. Those things still need to be done. (sighs) The point is, though, it's proven that you're like... Your twenty percent, like twenty percent of your customers, are going to give you eighty percent of your revenue. So there is a correlation. There is an observed correlation there. There's some correlation there, and I would say that the data is shaky. It's shaky data. Anyway. I think I think when you're starting off, it's super critical to understand how the pie is made from all facets. Um, so if you don't want to get your hands dirty or if you can afford to have other people to uh, do that for you, then by all means do that. But I think we live in an age, especially our generation, is keen to pick up new skills and tasks in order to just make sense of the world. Um, so a little bit of programming, a little bit of art, a little bit of copy editing. <laughs> it's called the gig economy. <laughs> and you're halfway there to the hustle culture, bro. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, so let's talk about challenges and ethics on this. Uh, yeah. What could go wrong? What could go wrong with this tech? (laughs) Do we see any Um, downsides? I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, like, let's talk about, um, AI art creation, right? So, or even just text, Brandon, how do you feel about all of your articles being filtered into this and used without your permission? Well, the reason I was going to talk about art is because I had an example in the chamber. So, (gasps) sorry. uh, Yeah. Um, so let's set aside sort of talking about rights, the rights issues on, uh, AI generated art, whether it's public domain, 
stealing from uh, artists uh, whose copywritten works were scraped. Let's set that aside for the moment. It's still really important, but let's just set it aside. It's the whether it's public domain or not, the resulting art is putting working artists out of business. Um, it is taking money out of their pockets and food out of their families' mouths. So while it is that's that's one of the reasons why I say it's important to like use these things for ideation machines and use them uh, for efficiencies, but they shouldn't replace the human creative element because I cannot stress this enough. These things are not creative. So um, the example I'm going to use is uh, there was a creator um, in the uh, like small publisher TTRPG community who I will not name, but some people may know. Uh, because this played out on their Facebook page. Um, uh, they started playing around with Midjourney uh, for things. And they were very adamant, like, you know, like, hey, I'm just playing around with it. I'm not using it to put any artists out of business or anything like that. Um, so don't worry about it. And, uh, you know, nothing, nobody really said anything. And then they started making some posts that are like, hey, here's some concept art that I used Midjourney to come up with. I'm going to send this to my artists so they can use it as sort of uh, the base to get started with. So they sort of know what I'm looking for. And then maybe like less than 24 hours later, there was a big Mia Culpa post up there that was like, hey, <laughs> I thought I was doing right by this. I did not realize that this would cause such an avalanche of response to this situation. Rest assured that I will not be using AI anymore to give any direction or thoughts to any of my human artists that I'm using for this, right? Uh, because I, you know, reading through the comments on there, I started to take away from it that like, they, they didn't understand that like a lot of this art comes from essentially the results of stolen stuff. Um, and also like I've worked as a creative for my entire professional life and boy, howdy, is there no better way to piss me off than to say, I've drawn what I want this to look like do this or like, here's what your story needs to say do this, just rewrite this like it was a press release or something like that. Um, it is an incredibly disrespectful way to treat your creative collaborators by giving them essentially an instruction booklet on what to do. Creativity is not a linear process. And sometimes you have to bounce around on ideas for a while. Um, so I think the challenge there is figuring out ways to incorporate it into what you're doing while still respecting the experience, judgment, and creativity of your human collaborators uh, on sort of the ideation side of things. Do you think, because this is something I've been thinking about with regards to ChatGPT, do you think it's still a problem if what you're using these sorts of art generators or text generators for is to give you an idea of what you're actually trying to get in the first place? I'm not talking about yeah. providing concept art to artists, but if you use ChatGPT or Midjourney or Dolly Mini or whatever it may be to be like, I want to see this kind of art and I want to see it in this kind of style. And then you're like, oh, I don't like how angular that is. I want something that's smoother. I want something that's rounder, you know, and then you start getting an idea of what you are actually looking for. Because that is, I've heard a number one concern for commissioning artists is that they go, this is how much I charge for the commission. If you need a rework, it costs this much. And then the person comes back and they start getting angry because they've needed three different reworks because they don't know what they want until they start to see what the artist is producing. Mm -hmm. I as, mean, I think, oh, go ahead, Tess. As someone who freelances art, um, every conversation starts with the mood board anyway. So I have an understanding of what colors they're looking for or what they're inspired by or what they ultimately want out of this project. Because I've been in that kind of revision hell where it's 20 different editions later and we still haven't landed on that holy grail and I'm not getting paid any more money. Yeah. And the problem is most people who hire creatives, hire creatives because they don't understand creativity. They don't understand how to be creative in that particular way because it can be sort of a very siloed kind of thing. Um, you know, if you are somebody who owns a business and you're trying to develop an app, 
you have absolutely no idea about the graphic design required to create that app. You do not know about the backbone that needs to be built there. So you just you just don't know what you're talking about. So granted, I, I, if someone threw a mid journey at me and said, "Hey, copy this," I'd probably be like, <laughs> "No, no way," or charge him double. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, so this person learned their lesson very quickly, and you know, it really reinforced to me how high the tensions are in this. And you know, um, I've I, I've talked to uh, multiple artists who have said things to the effect of like that kind of stuff is fine as like sort of a, your own sort of what if machine trying to figure out sort of stuff in your head. But the moment you let it out of the corral, that's when it becomes a pollutive force to actual art and creativity that's out there. And that's why, that's why I would never like take something that chat GP has put out and just like use it. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even like, like the golden egg example that we used. I wouldn't take that out and follow it story beat by story beat, expanding on those story beats to make it something, you know, my own. I would probably, it's one of those things where you take bits and pieces from it. You're like, oh, well, like out of this whole thing, there was this one really good nugget that was a cool idea. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to build something else around that. It's almost like a fractal, right? So that becomes a new fractal off of that, which spawns its own sort of little universe a decent way of looking at it it still doesn't address how what we do with these machines that are basically operating off of um <clears throat> illegal machine learning data sets and copyright infringement and what do you do about that is the solution that ai is only useful when it has this kind of wealth of information to inform it would we be getting shittier uh <laughs> we'd be getting worse adventures if it didn't have the wealth of generic crappy ttrpgs to draw from maybe like you have like is it better to have less less but higher quality or is it better to have more but varied quality i would argue that you want the latter for a more robust data set to pull from because even if you're just focusing on a hundred really high quality things that's still only a very limited amount of data to pull from to 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 generate something right um and who curates human knowledge, I think, is the follow-up question there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, the other. I think the other answer to this too, or not answer, the other question that revolves around sort of the ethics component of this as well is the carbon footprint aspect of it too. Um, because you have to think about like sort of existing data centers and the amount of heat, like waste heat that they generate, right? And depending on the cooling method and the latitudes that these places are located at, like a plant could be generating twice, like again, as much uh, power in cooling as it is to like power all the IT infrastructure in a building, right? So once AI, like I'm thinking like 20, 20 years from now, and maybe I'm being optimistic about that in one direction or the other, um, in like 20 years when we have more da like data centers that are devoted strictly to the kind of computing necessary for all the AI content creation that's being done, like how much is that going to add to an already existing problem of waste heat generation uh, and carbon footprints? If we want, if we want to come after anybody for waste heat generation via computing electronics, I'm pretty sure the target should be cryptocurrencies and NFTs because they literally are all about let's crank some GPUs all the way to the max and just really, really get those processors running some heat out of them. <laughs> Wait until AI is a fully a separate industrialized sector of the economy, because right now it's still just a cottage industry. Once it is fully grown out of that stage, it will be right up there competing with cryptocurrency as a heat generator. Um, we have to look forward from now over what it not just has the potential, but the likelihood to become in terms of an industrial powerhouse. It's going to be like the 22nd century equivalent 
of um, like the Industrial Revolution, like uh, a panning shot of London in like 1890, where you got like a thousand smokestacks all spewing ash onto small Dickensian children begging for porridge. <laughs> Chat GPT couldn't write that. Yeah. Except, except it's, <laughs> except it's going to be um, these giant like buildings that are built to vent heat. Uh, and it's or built underground. Um, yeah. When I was working at a data center, they actually had levels in between the servers to act mm-hmm. as kind of like the buffer space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's serious environmental concerns, as with any technology, especially one that operates at this kind of scale, especially one that's going to um, be the backbone of, I want to say, pretty much every app that comes into the app store for mm-hmm. the foreseeable future. What do we do about that? <laughs> Nuclear reaction reactors again, I guess. There are, are, uh, you know, you know, we talked a little bit about the singularity earlier. It's the kind of thing you can't see past. And 12 months ago, this really wasn't the thing that average people were able to see past. Right. So I think it's irresponsible to have a conversation now of like, how do we deal with this? Because we don't actually even know what this is yet. Um, We can talk about what it might be um, and try to project forward sort of past the event horizon of like, what is like, what are the consequences of this going to be? But we just don't know. Um, You know, you can't stop progress. So saying, well, we just shouldn't have AI. That's, that's a horse that's left the barn. That's not, we can't stop anything. You have to, you have to deal with the reality that you have rather than hoping for the one that you wish you had. Right. So the question then becomes like, what's the, what's the most responsible way to deal with this? And I think in terms of environmental and impact, maybe even economic impact, we don't know what the answer to that is yet because we haven't even touched on the whole idea of how this furthers a, an already sort of a crippling uh, automation crisis that has been coming for the last 20 years, right? Uh, this is the kind of thing that puts accountants out of business. Um, you know, like nobody's going to be having you do their taxes if there is a tax bot that knows the tax law, has like there's a tax API it can access and plan everything out. Like, I don't even I have think seen- accountants want to do taxes though, Brandon, like as someone who's done taxes this year. Yeah, but but there is a subset of not... CPAs, but accounting professionals who run things like your H&R blocks and things like that. And, you know, it will put them out of business, you know? Um, so that, that's a whole other argument that is not related to tabletop role-playing games. I think, <laughs> I think that as far as the tabletop industry is concerned, there's no real economic fallout from this because people aren't going to, or at least right now, we're not going to be seeing AI written adventures that people are going to be going out there buying unless the AI gets a lot. Well, I was about to say a lot more creative, but just creative in general and can come up with new ideas. Um, We're going to see content be able to be cranked out faster because people will be able to do it more efficiently with the aid of AI. So it's, you know, possible the market may get a little saturated um, and it's already a pretty saturated market, right? By robots. Um, Yeah. By people using robots. And, it, you know, depending on how AI art generation gets, the, the artist will, prob- will probably feel a bit more of an impact on something like that. But at its core, it's a social game. So it's not like it's not like it's going to really take over game mastering work, I think, because if you're doing that, just play a video game, you know. I have got one remaining question, but it's kind of a thought experiment. So journey with me, if you will, is four years into the future. And you have been using ChatGPT for exactly that length of time. It has learned everything about you from your habits to the work that you conduct to the way that you write your sentences. Yeah, you, it's able to reproduce in full articles, OPDs, artwork in your own personal style. <clears throat> is it sentient at this point? Let's think about this step by step. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, you know, the question there is, can it 
create a new idea. Can it create a new idea using your brain as a data set? But if it's just using my brain as a data set, is it actually creating a new idea or is it deriving a new mixture of existing ideas? What is a new idea then? Exactly. If not it's just that. <laughs> exactly. It's a philosophical question. Um, we're, we're, we're outside the realm of physics and into metaphysics at this point. Sentience is a, sentience is a metaphysical question. Um, now, and remember, sentience is different from sapience. So we have to determine which of those we're talking about too. Like sentience is an awareness, sapience is a wisdom. So I would question whether something that its, its brain, let's call it, can't grow and develop new connections, it can only use an existing template of me, uh, is a machine that is aware of its place and can think for itself. Because this also gets into a free, like, is a free will versus, you know, um, predeterminism argument, right? Are we even sentient? That's like, that's a legitimate thing that's out there. Like, you know, nobody really knows how our brains work, right? Might just be a luxury that we're imbuing ourselves with sentience when we can't yeah. actually our, evaluate that in any other species. Exactly, exactly. Our entire universe may exist in a, in a highly complex simulation. We may exist inside a, a black hole. We may exist inside a dying star. So uh, we may all be battery humans in the matrix. Yeah. So you know, yeah, you know, is is the AI going to become sentient? Like, are we even? That's my question. <laughs> So I'm I'm gonna do a callback to a 2014 puzzle video game uh, called The Talos Principle, which is about the concept of AI existing within a puzzle game, and you, the player, are one of these AI. And after having been left alone long enough in this puzzle structure, you become sentient, or at least you become to the game's impression sentient. And there's a little bit of like, there's debate, of course, about is this actual sentience? Is this, you know, derivative from the knowledge that was in within this puzzle universe in the first place? And it, it ends up raising the question of what is sentience? I think when it comes to a system that has a large enough data set that it is able to derive what feels like original content, I think you're very close to sentience. But I think the thing that is missing from that is that the conclusions that you draw from that data set are not restricted to the method of thinking you had when you first entered that data set. Mm -hmm. And then we get back into the problem of the singularity, right? Because, because that like sentience is an emergent property. It isn't necessarily the net result of things that came before it, right? Like you can't add one plus one plus one plus one to equal four to equal like that equals sentience. Like you like when you're at three, you weren't sentient, but you add one more or four and you are. It just kind of happens. And it's nothing that we can predict. And it's nothing that we know how to get there. And like, I don't, I don't think we will ever truly know if an AI is sentient or not. We may believe that it is, but we'll never know that it is. There's um, this futurist technologist. I believe he was the one who invented objects, but Grady Booch, I think is his name. He talks a lot about humanism in machines and how they're extensions of humanity. So I've always kind of approached this question of sentience, uh, uh, kind of similar to you, Brandon, like, well, are we sentient? And what do we mean by that? And <laughs> why, how, how can we deny an aspect of ourselves to a creation of ourselves? That said, that's the last of my questions. So I guess um, I'll leave yeah. you with that. Uh, yeah, this was a very awesome and healthy discussion. Um, I came away from this thinking a lot of stuff that I was not expecting to, and I was, I, this went in a lot of directions I wasn't expecting for us to go. Uh, and I thought this was really interesting. Um, 
if uh, you know anybody out there who's listening to this, uh, if you have thoughts on this, uh, definitely uh, shoot us an email, contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com. Uh, join us in the Discord, bit.ly slash goblin discord. Tell, uh, tell us if you think we're sentient uh, and <laughs> you know whether or not you are. Um, tell us some fun stories that you've had uh, with uh, chat GPT that, um, you know, if you send us some interesting stuff that you've done with GPT, we'll talk about it in the next episode uh, that we record. That'd be really cool. Um, Josh, I think we should actually like ping people in the discord for that to get the ball rolling on that. Um, uh, we were, like we said, we were at GalaxyCon. So if we saw you there, I'm sure we loved seeing you. Um, we were also at uh, Triad Anime Con. Does this come out right after we get back from Triad? This this comes out the day after we get back from Triad. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure I loved seeing you there too. Um, <laughs> um a couple I'm, things. I'm, oh, go I'm ahead, sure Josh. we have a lot of new listeners from both GalaxyCon and Triad AnimeCon that we were just thrilled to meet, and we're really glad that you're here and checking us out. Yeah. Um, also, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, it's a monthly newsletter, so it's not going to spam you. It's got news and recommendations and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can find the subscribe form for that at uh, our link tree, linktr.ee slash goblins and growlers. So how much of the newsletter was populated by AI? Just quick question. None. Oh, great. Yeah. Pure human newsletter. Get it while yeah. you can. A pure human newsletter uh, that I developed a <laughs> workflow for that I wouldn't have to work on it for hours and hours and hours at a time. Uh, so uh, it's to reference to reference our other show. This particular newsletter is warm like a human. Uh huh. Yeah. And speaking of quid pro roll, our uh, actual play podcast where I play a wrestler uh, and Josh is an edgelord thief. Um, we just kicked off very recently our newest story arc. Uh, so this is a perfect time to jump on the old bandwagon there. Um, the probably the third most recent episode at the time you're hearing this is our most recent recap. So listen to that. You'll know where things are at and then you'll be able to jump on to uh, the new story, which it's uh, based on the Silver Temple. And so I am calling it our most werewolf resistant storyline yet. Um, Josh, what, what else we got? Uh, well, people should telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins of Growlers podcast. Yes, as please, always. Yes, please give us reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast listening program of choice. Um, that's the best way to grow the podcast. Tell folks about it and to give us reviews. Uh, if you can do both of those things, that's extra special good. Um, uh, Tess, is there anything you would like to highlight? Perhaps a different project that you work on or anything like that? I don't have any projects to highlight right now, but I'm Tess, and I'll probably be cutting off Josh more in the future. I'm an artist, game master, and lawyer, but not your lawyer, and I'm happy to talk about literally everything, but mostly my existential crises. You can find me at Lynchpin pretty much everywhere. All right, everybody. We will catch you in a couple of weeks, I think. Bye, y'all. like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you!